again, everybody, and welcome to the two-man game. I'm Bob Ramsey. That is Matt Rocchio, of course, here on Claves Online. Well, Rock, um, a lot has happened in the last couple of days since we spoke, previewing the Billikens game at LaSalle, talking NBA, and a lot of times midweek is a little slow time for the NBA, but uh, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about and get her going, so let's let's jump right in, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it, Rammer. All right. Well, first, the Bills go to Philadelphia uh, to take on the LaSalle Explorers. The uh, uh, I, I don't mean to mean, but you got to be honest, one of the bottom feeders in the league, a game you got to win, even if it's on the road. We talked about it at length. Tough place to play um, because it's kind of a dump and and it's really strange. Um, uh, they don't have any fans, so they turn the PA up to jet engine levels all those kinds of things. You still got to go in and win, and the Billikens did. And uh, they handled their business, and I thought they 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 um, acquitted themselves very well. Yeah, there's just something about playing the Tom goal. It just – the game just comes out a little bit sloppier. Um, and, and while, you know, it didn't end up biting him in the ass or anything like that, you know, there were some little things here that weren't as, as cinched up as they were in previous games. But it was one of those games, considering the run they were on and the, the – travel and everything like that that you mentioned the the arena the aura if you will of of the of the game they were able to slog one out in, in pretty pretty good fashion i mean it wasn't as ugly as i worried it might get right it wasn't as pretty as you would hope considering the games they had played previously but it was kind of right there in the middle and that's again not the worst case scenario in that game you know you get the win you keep the win streak going you keep you you know Continue to hit the ground running here with this streak of games that are so important, and now you got the Bonnies t- tomorrow night, and it's going to be big. Let me uh, uh, let me describe what I think, or how margin the air is, uh, uh, the margin of okay, they did their job versus oh wow, that was a really good game. Um, I contend that the offense was really working, but it didn't look like it was working because the Billikens missed five or six layups and missed some open threes. Um, so and DeAndre Jones had a couple of good looks wide open and missed. Gibson missed maybe one. And uh, Earl and I talk about it all the time. You got to make your open shots. Tough shots, hey, they come and go. Make the open ones. But the, the here's, here's what's missed sometimes when we talk about shots not going in. The offense got you good looks. That's what it's designed to do, get you good looks. So let's say you're not going to make every layup, but you make most of them. Let's say you make three more layups and another one or two threes. Now you've got your 20-point blowout. It The margin is that close. Now, if you're struggling, you get shots. That's when I contend, uh-oh, the offense isn't working because we can't even get any good looks. So I think to me, that's the difference. Yeah, and, and that's been the big problem for, for St. Louis these seasons, these huge long stretches where it's it's not about shots not falling. It's about an inability to get the shots you yeah. want or the looks you want. And because usually this St. Louis team, they shake out, you know, actual shooting spells, you know, and, you know, bad shooting spells. They shake out of those pretty quickly. They have so many skilled shooters. Those don't last a long time. But when they get bad shots and they get mired in those kind of bad movements, people stop moving their feet, lazy yeah. passes, things like that. That's when we have those huge five, seven minute stretches where they don't score very much. Right. And, and again, I'm not trying to suggest to anybody this is this hooray. We we got to win there. And so, hey, you were supposed to win. You did what you were supposed to. 
Fred Thatch with a double-double. Muri um, Collins, fantastic again. Gibson Jimerson, a career-high rebounds. Career-high rebounds for Fred. Um, I had uh, I, I had the personal joy of sitting next to the guys doing TV. Um, Kale Beers, who is an administrator at uh, LaSalle, and the voice of the Explorers. He's a wonderful guy, great guy. And then, but right next to me was all-time great coach Fran Dunphy. And during pregame, during the breaks and postgame, had a chance to visit with him. And what a delight. And he he said it, he goes, I, I fell in love with Fred Thatch. He loved, for, see, coaches love those guys. Guys that will do whatever it takes to win. Guys that guard their butts off, that, that are willing to go get the dirty rebounds and find ways to get to the rim. And uh, uh, Coach Coach Dunphy had so much praise for Fred Thatch. It, it was pretty neat to see. He, I mean, he's just been so crucial to the season this year, and obviously getting his first career double-double, and he's had a lot of his best games against LaSalle because, man, when you have a guy who's, who's going to be you know running with his hair on fire and, and just trying to get after it, you're going to – those are the games that he's going to flourish in because every, things are going to slip through the cracks. Guys are going to – there's going to be loose balls and things like that, and that's where he's going to flourish. He just takes over uh, against LaSalle, and he finally gets the double-double. I love seeing that from Fred Thatch. He's just getting better every night. You know, sometimes the shot isn't falling for him, but I think, you know, he really is starting to understand his role offensively, when to get his shot, when to look for it. And, you know, he, he's, you know, secretly kind of kind – of extremely solid when it comes to finishing in transition. I love that part about him too. So yeah, Fred Thatch, you can't ask for more from him. He's giving you everything. You know, what's interesting too, um, as a lineup nerd, I think in basketball, the starting lineup is probably the least and most, least most important thing, but it's clear it has value, some value where whatever you want to rate it high, low, and there is a value there because the bill, it's not a coincidence that the Bills really started to get on a roll when Fred Thatch was inserted into the starting lineup. Yeah, it's it's not a shocker. And, and I think the biggest thing, if we want to talk about an X's and O's thing that jumps out, is just the way the defense has been able to attack um, yeah. guards with switches. That's been the biggest thing. And I think Fred being such a Swiss Army knife, you know, flexible, versatile player, I think that's been a huge part of it. Another guy, too, to talk about when you mention the defense is Yuri Collins, who has always been fine as a defender. You know, he's been fine, but now I feel like he's going to the next level as a defender. He's getting blocked shots and not just swats. He's going up and snatching them and then going the other way. Um, I think he's become one of the best perimeter defenders. And, and moreover, not just on the perimeter, but against perimeter players, and he'll frequently be on a guy that's five, six, maybe not six inches, but four or five inches taller. They'll immediately, what would you think if you were that guy? I'm going to post this guy up. Time after time, he steals it, he blocks it, he walls them off, um, along with his dramatic um, uh, uh, national leading assist and assist average. The defense and scoring have both elevated in the last month to six weeks it's been remarkable to watch passing defense just had a 35 point game uh, what, what do they watch for on the bob Cousy award watch list again i'm confused bob they still have that oh, yeah apparently 
I thought it was passe. <laughs> but I, I love your point, though, because, you know, the defense can be so hard to evaluate at times. And you talk yeah. a lot how about how, how much it is about effort and things like that. And with a guy like Yuri Collins, I think effort's a, a part of it. But also just I think he's a guy who offense his offensive game is now so second nature and just, you know, born into him that he can now start getting after it a little bit more defensively and things like that. And I think there's just a natural yeah. thing where sometimes if you got to put more effort and, and thought process and, and just, you know, time into your offense, you can't focus on defense as much. But, you know, I have to think this is a guy who's getting older. He's getting more experience. I'm sure that his film study has probably completely changed over the last few years. I have to think that not only effort, I have to think that something like that is coming into play here. Let's look ahead tomorrow night, Friday night, late start, 8 o'clock at Chaffetz Arena. The place was was nuts a week ago. Well, five days ago, um, when the Billikens beat Dayton, they absolutely need to. Uh, uh, the Bills fans, I think, need to try and match that energy and intensity. St. Bonaventure comes in, a team that was much heralded and deservedly so. A team that was picked to finish first in the league. Um, they've struggled a little bit, and Mark Schmidt. It wasn't it wasn't a secret. He was going to rely on his five starters. He's done that um, in a remarkable way. All five starters over 30 minutes and three of the five well over 30 minutes a night. Rarely goes to the bench, and when he does, it's only for a couple of minutes at a time. And I think he felt like he had to do it. And they could prove me wrong, but I think making that decision will end up costing them in the end. Um now, uh, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, I think teams with depth, and I guess this is setting up as the matchup, Travis Ford has depth that he trusts. And um, I'm looking at that in particular one spot, center spot. You got three guys you trust. They have Oshuna Yi, who is a great player. Uh, he's going to average a double-double. And... Uh, Block three shots a game. Yeah, and he's a guy that will foul your bigs out of the game. Mm -hmm. He's not going to foul three guys out, and all three of them are going to defend. And um, I think of all the things, and I haven't talked to Travis like you already have today. I'll talk to him tomorrow. But uh, of all the things going on that strengths and weaknesses, I think the Billiken, Billiken uh, depth is going to be an absolute key in this game. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Just – if you talk about just conference play, so the last nine games the Bonnie have, Bonnies have played, their four guards, Attaway, Lofton, Holmes, and Welch, are playing 38, 38, 38, and 39 minutes per game. And, and let, let me and say this. And Oshuni is playing 34 minutes per game. I mean, so it's it's gotten even more stark since they've come out of non-conference play. It's nothing against those guys, but you cannot run – you cannot run players into the ground like that and expect to keep on winning games late in February and March against talented teams that have depth. It's just the equation is going to start breaking against you more often than not. Because of the because of the COVID problem from six weeks ago, and I haven't examined every game on the schedule, but like the Billikens, teams are mostly in the league playing every third day. Mm -hmm. And it'll get them. Now, let me also say this. Their starting five are terrific. They are. There's no doubt about really that. Really good players. There's no doubt about that. They are really good. Yeah. And so it'll be a challenge. 
And I imagine it'll be you would if you were going to write the script, you would think it's going to be a game that you win in the second half and probably late in the second half if you win. Yeah, if it, you win. Yeah, this, it, keep it close in the first and then wear away, kind of start wearing away at him in in the second half. The biggest thing that jumps out to me, and I kind of talked about, to Travis about this in a little bit of a roundabout way, the Bonavon, the Bonnies allow three point attempts. And they allow them at a at, at a top 100 rate, and teams hit them at a top 100 rate against them. So when I was talking to Travis Ford, we were talking about three pointers, and I was asking him, you know, where is the uptick coming from over the last few games? Is it a coaching thing? Is it just teams what what teams giving you, or is it maybe what we've been talking about an offense that's starting to kind of get more comfortable? And with him, you know, his big thing was just it's a matchup kind of thing. So huh. with with that said. I see no reason why we will not see the exact thing we've seen the majority of the last month, which is them taking more threes than they had in conference play earlier in the season because the Bonnies allow it already. And if what Travis is saying is that they attack it when teams allow them to. And so the team's been shooting better from deep. They've been shooting more from deep. I would absolutely love to see that. Um, but I think one other thing to look at that's going to be a big question here. When we talk about an uptick in three-pointers, something that's coming down, this is a natural thing. It has nothing to do with maybe the amount of calls or things like that. Their free throws are coming down a little bit. They're not taking as many shots in the paint. That's going to happen. But free throws, I think, are going to become back to being a huge conversation piece in this game because the Bonnies refuse to foul people. When you have all five of your starters playing 40 minutes per game, you obviously can't afford foul trouble. So they refuse to foul people. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how does SLU maybe attack in a different way knowing that the Bonnies are so you know, willing to maybe beg off some contact because they're, they don't want those calls. And, and to add to that, something we didn't necessarily see coming, we thought it would be better – but free throw shooting has absolutely been a weapon for the Billikens, without question. Yeah. And we, as I said, we thought it'd be better, um, but uh, you take that away because of style, it will be real interesting because it can, it can cover up some errors on offense if you get bailed out by getting fouled. So I think that's a great point, something to really keep an eye on tomorrow night at Schaefer's Arena. I mean, I, and I just think, I think, you know, this should be a very modern game. You know, if you're not taking a three, then the goal should be working to, to, to get get a cutter in any way, shape, or form. Because, again, they're, they're not going to want to foul, and they give away threes in the first place. So I think there's a weird combination here where I think they're, it's almost perfectly built for St. Louis to attack them in exactly those ways. They have the big men that they can just keep throwing at a Shuniite, which is – Difficult because he's he's a tough player. You know, um, Sudorando, when he was talking to Travis today, referenced the tournament game last year where he, uh, he had, I think, six blocks, and it felt like he had more than that. Yes, it did. Yeah, and so he he can be dangerous inside. But, again, if you can just attack these guys with your depth and the fact that that depth has a lot of shooting, I think it could be huge. But I think, again, there could be that side question, maybe more so than it has been over the last few months, few games which is is st louis getting to the line and are they getting lazy and fouling on their own end the big thing travis pointed out was that not only do the bonaventures not not only the bonnies not foul but they get fouled they, they usually are making more free throws than the other team is attempting Taking, yeah so i mean so i mean not even making just attempting even 
So that that's their big discrepancy. That's something both Gibson and Travis pointed out is kind of like the marker if you get to that you win so many games. If you atten- if you make more than the other team attempts, right. you win basketball games. So that's a big stat that Travis threw out there. And so they got to cinch up the defense again. You got to not be lazy. You can't be reaching. These are good players, so they know how to bait you in those kind of things. So you can't be getting into dumb fouls on your side because they're going to hit down. They're going to hit those free throws. It's going to allow them to slow the game down, get some breaks. Maybe that helps the fact that they play 38 freaking minutes per game. I'm not sure, but they gotta they gotta be smarter on defense. And again, I think on offense, you you say, hey, you're not going to foul me. Fine. I'm taking this one maybe a little bit recklessly into the paint to try to get something yeah. because if you're not going to foul me, you're not going you're not going to take that that hit. Well, I'm I'm going to see if I can get this done in the paint right now. So I think it could be interesting to see: do they choose to attack the fact that the Bonnies don't want to foul, or do they choose to attack the fact that the Bonnies allow teams to shoot threes at a pretty high level? That will be interesting, but with guys like, in particular, Thatch and Collins, and of course Okoro and Linson. Um, you're going to force them to to decide how they want to defend at the rim because all four of those guys are going to get to the rim if you don't. And I should have put in Jimerson with those back cut reverse layups. Yeah. And, and, and talking about Gibson, we, we asked him about the, the free throw discrepancy. And he did admit that maybe he needs to sell some calls a little bit more, but – you know, for him, it was just, it was just, you know, he said he's taking more jumpers, so maybe that's where it is. Uh, even if you are taking more jumpers, you took, he took about 45 non three pointers without getting a free throw in that stretch. So, I mean, and, maybe and he needs to sell it's them off, more. It's off, it's off the ball stuff, too. And, um, you know, he, he, on the court, he's very stoic, and you don't want to get that reputation of being a whiner, but something's got to give. It did a little bit. It did a little against yeah. Sal, but I mean, the fact that it went that stretch was just ridiculous. And again, maybe he does need to be a little bit more demonstrative in, in how he sells the fouls. Again, you don't want to be a yeah. complainer, but at the same time, you are, uh, you know, borderline the leading scorer in the conference. And so, you know, there, there needs to be maybe something different from the officials, but I also think there has to be something a little bit more from Gibson, you know, accepting yeah. the contact, selling it a little bit more. Those are, you know, those are little things that you learn as a scorer. Um, you know, he's taken such a jump at all three levels, um, and, and including, I mean, he already took a jump in, in the free throws that he has been getting this year. So to expect an even bigger jump is, is being a little bit greedy. And one more thing for Gibson Jimerson to look at, this season with eight games remaining and then postseason and and in the next year or so he knows what his role is but can over time he expand that role and be one of those guys that gets his shot that scores um that is a focal point of the offense but also does things to start to make everyone around him better and when that starts to happen then you go from a terrific scorer which he already is to a great player. And I'm really, I think we're going to see that. I think we're already starting to see it. And I think it's going to keep developing. You know what? The, the, that step back jumper that he has developed um, to kind of get him a shot when, when teams are able to close out on his, on his open looks a little bit tighter than he wants. That is showing me a tightness in his dribble that we hadn't seen before. And so if he can expand that kind of move into being a better ball handler. And then we're talking about him being able to utilize that move, not coming off screens, 
as a, as a you know off ball screener yeah. coming off screens as the ball handler in a pick and roll or a pick and pop. And yes. we've seen how much Yuri is able to get his open looks, um, especially that elbow jumper using the pick and pop or the pick and roll to get his look at imagining Gibson being able to utilize that. It's, it's hard not to get excited about that. That's, that's a great point. And again, with the way he's improved his driving, even if he admits he might have to do a little bit better at, at taking contact with the way he has improved his driving over the last just six months. Again, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that, you know, in August, Everyone's expectation for this kid was 13 points, you know, maybe 14 or 15 at the most. If if yeah. Slew's really killing it and the offense yeah. is running at a high level, and now Very he's you know, now he's at 17, 18, and so for him to already take that jump as a driver, I can just I can't imagine what we could see if he does maybe move into that you know ball handler in the pick and roll kind of kind of you know play set role. Yeah. Um. So that's uh, Friday night, eight o'clock at Schaefer's Arena. It'll be big, man. seems like every night there are huge games on all over the country. It is really a fun time as we're, I think it's it's fair to say, even though what is today, the 10th, uh, yeah, it's a short month. I think we're in the stretch run. We're in the second half for almost every conference. I think all conferences are in their second half. I think it's a stretch run, and, and it's very, very exciting. And, but, speaking, and speaking of that, just, go ahead. you know, as, as you're talking about the stretch run to the tournament, so – Today, I think, was the first time I saw the updated rankings where the net rankings, SLU was above. First of all, SLU is above, is the best team in the A-10 right now, according to the net. They passed Davidson. Moved ahead of Davidson. But them moving, Davidson dropping down moved the A-10 out of any at-large bids right now projected. And so one of the very first things we talked about when we started the podcast was, you know, the A-10s perception as a one two or three bid league so obviously yeah. good news to see slew jump up ahead davidson personally but with the wider scope of the conference this year with you know a couple teams at the very at the bottom of the conference really struggling and now no teams in that at large you know projection how do you think that affects maybe slew going forward even just this year or future years with just the perception of the a10 maybe no longer having that multi-bid uh, you know, persona, if you will. I think what's going to happen um, is the winner of the Billikens at Davidson. I think that's a weekend after this uh, and Kerry uh, and Davidson. Um, I think that winner is going to get a huge jump. It's going to slingshot them forward because two teams right at the 50 mark. And by then they each have maybe won two more games. Yeah. If that, if they're on this same um, track, uh, uh, a collision course, if you will. So let's say they've still only got one loss. The Bills only have two. You know, um, I mean, it, it'll be a uh, it'll be a battle of the titans, and the winner gets a big jump. What you hope then is the loser continues to win and doesn't fall off pace, and that's the way I think you get because because the loser won't get a won't get hammered in a bad loss, yeah, right? True. That's true. So then whoever loses, you come out of that game and keep winning. And if both teams keep winning, that's the way you get two in. Yeah. When, hey, win the game's in front of you, and uh, that's all That's all you can ask of slew right now. But but overall, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with the A-10. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we got to go switch to the NBA. I don't want to run out of time on this. We talked a little bit about just a couple of days ago on two-man game, and – 
I threw it at you kind of jokingly because it seemed like talk show fodder. And you sort of agreed and sort of laughed it off. And here we go. The trade between the Sixers and the Nets. Yeah. And really just earlier today, the funny thing was it broke. Adrian Wojnarowski broke the news that James Harden wanted to ask for a trade to the 76ers, but he was afraid that if it became public, he would get too much backlash. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, just an a- absolutely ridiculous thing, and that's why it, it's, it gets funnier from here. So the, so <laughs> then the actual trade happens, and, and I'll talk about the trade here for a moment, which is the one thing I was surprised about, which I talked about when, when we, when we uh, brought up this topic on the last episode, which was how much – had James Harden's value actually come down. Because we knew that Ben Simmons had completely cratered. But how much had James Harden's value come down? I thought it was more than this. Because clearly his value is still extremely high. Or maybe I was just wrong about how low Ben Simmons' value was. Because to get get, um, Seth Curry, a pick, and Ben Simmons for James Harden. And I think there's one other player I'm missing that was thrown. Oh, um... Andre Drummond? I think Andre Drummond got there. I think that's right. Yeah, Andre Drummond as well. So to have three players and a pick thrown in um, for Harden, I I just didn't expect that much when Ben Simmons is one of the three players. Uh, And so I actually think it's a a rare trade where I'm shocked by the value going both ways, but I actually think both teams are completely fine with what happened and aren't really bothered by the outcome. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, you 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 didn't I sensed that you didn't expect it would happen, yet you mentioned you used the word cratered again, but that's what you said the other day. Simmons they just they just have they had to get rid of him. And, 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 and here's the position, thing I gotta get rid of it. You know, uh uh my my sixty-eight Ford Falcon, best offer taken. And here's the thing people are saying people are saying that it's too much for Harden. And while, you know, in a long view scope, that might be true. But if the 76ers win the NBA championship this year, that doesn't matter. Well, I, you know, that would would shock me, but it probably gives both teams. I think it definitely gives both teams a better chance than as they stood before the trade was consummated. Yeah. Now, and again, I, we talked better, about what does better mean? Five more games, a little better standing first round and out. I don't know what it means. But I believe both teams are are better now than they were earlier this morning. So let's see. You're going to get 50 percent of Kyrie just on you know just on the surface of how many games he plays. But, but I think New York is backing off now. I think he's. Are they? It's going to be. You'll have sense. to check me on this. I mean, everybody else is kind of backing off. I'm no right now, I'm so no yeah. homework guy. Uh, shooting from the hip. The uh, I thought I saw a blurb that New York's going to back off that demand pretty quickly. Okay, so maybe you have a completely healthy. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons. In Philadelphia, you have Embiid, Harden, and a much better bench around them. Um, and then, obviously, you still have Milwaukee with what they're doing. They just traded Don DiVincenzo, uh, which is an interesting move. I thought you know they really needed him for the 3 and D that, that kind of makes the rest of that team work. It's a weird trade. I kind of got to dig into that one to see what, what the thought process might be there. So if you just look at those ones – God, with the way Embiid's playing, if they get 80% of what Harden was supposed to be this year, I think that team, yeah, that's a dangerous team. But at the same time, 
the Nets could easily just completely awaken everything we thought Ben Simmons was supposed to be. What we talked about in the last episode is why I thought he was perfect because he's such a weird player that you need other yeah. weird, you know, generational unicorns, you know, to fit next to him. And him, him and Durant uh, and Kyrie added in there. It's it's an absolutely perfect perfect combination and but here's where the the Harden trade actually gets really funny too because not because he was being a baby earlier so tonight was the draft for the all-star game between LeBron James's one captain and New Jersey uh, Brooklyn Nets forward Kevin Durant is the other captain James Harden is available in this draft so the entire draft LeBron James refuses to take James Harden hoping hoping he'll have to force Kevin Durant, who he obviously just got traded from, to have to pick his now traded teammate. And the entire time he's cheesing and the players are making – and Ernie and Shaq and Charles Barkley are making jokes about it the entire time. And at the very end, when – after he finally selected James Harden because he, he was the last person on the board, Fred Van, <laughs> Fred, Fred Van Vliet went before – James Harden. It was fantastic. So at the end of it all, when they were talking about the teams, LeBron James asked if James was going to be able to play because he's been hurt. Then Charles Barkley says, you know, he really is just like the fan embodied on that thing. Charles Barkley says, oh, no, he just got traded. Don't worry, he's healthy. (laughs) And LeBron has to put the clipboard over his face because he starts laughing his ass off. And so the fact that Harden was so worried about the public backlash – and the actual result of that story is that he is now getting made fun of by the Everybody. most famous basketball player on the planet on national television, in addition to everyone making fun of him for being a baby about, you know, making $40 million and caring what the hell the public thinks about him. And, if I had that and, much money, I would not give a care what anyone thinks about me, and I would be very public about that fact. And being fat. That too. I also wouldn't, ha- I also wouldn't be bothered by that if I had that money. You're not clearly. bothered by it now. I was going to say, I was clearly. Uh, it's a joke. You're svelte. You're a willow. You're a reed. Eat a sandwich. You're wasting away to nothing. I We kid. We kid on this show. Uh, he, uh, a willow, but yeah, it's been, it's been here for a couple hundred years. Uh, it's you no, know, but uh, so honestly, I do think it's it's one of those weird trades where I don't get the value, but I actually think it works well both ways. Um, yeah. The one I don't understand the value nor how it works um both ways was the spencer dinwiddie and the Kristaps porzingis trade that was weird um so when we get one of those weird deals have you tried to f- kind of turn that rubik's cube around and go all right why did they do this my, my thought my thought with that one is the the initial report when Bradley Beal, by the way, who's um, out for yes. the season now with a wrist injury, the the immediate report was that he wants to that was that he him and his agent want to talk to the Wizards about his long term future because he has a player option, and then the Wizards would obviously, with the way the NBA works, be able to offer him the biggest contract extension. Mm-hmm. I think this is a hey, here's a talented big man. Yes, we know he has issues. We're not trying to. BSU there, but this is a talented big man who could be here for the long haul. He's not even, he's not 30 yet. Spencer Dinwiddie, a very good guard, is 32 or 33, and is more of a piece you throw in as a fifth or sixth man um, in a championship in a borderline championship lineup, you know, or a playoff lineup, I should say. So 
I think the idea here is Porzingis gets a change of pace and potentially you show Bradley Beal you're committed to finding him more pieces. At the same time, Porzingis had a completely terrible relationship clearly in Dallas, and so getting him out of there makes a lot of sense. Getting mm. Luka Doncic a shooter makes perfect sense. So that's my thought process on that trade. Um, I haven't figured out um, exactly what the C.J. McCollum to the Pelicans trade earlier in the week was because that has the same bent where they're using the assets they're getting from the trade to convince Damian Lillard like, hey, we're not going to rebuild. We're going to reload around you. But that one seems even less convincing than what's been going on with the Wizards, which is saying a lot because you had the Norman Powell trade last week to the Clippers. That was weird. And then you had the trade with C.J. McCollum, and one of the best parts about that trade was getting Nikhil Alexander-Walker from the Pelicans, who they then flip Nikhil Alexander-Walker, yeah. the Trailblazers then flip him um, for a pick and an injured Joe Ingles, and that's just a weird move, and so I'm not really sure what the hell's going on in Portland right now. If I'm Dame Lillard, I'm getting absolutely out of there as fast as I possibly can. Um, I have some slight positivity. They might get something done with Bradley Beal in, in Washington. And, and you know, those those are kind of the big ones that kind of hit me over the head with this traded line. There were some other smaller moves, but, I mean, obviously the biggest one, Harden and, Harden and Simmons, is just astronomical. It changes the East because with the way yeah. Embiid's playing, Embiid is, Embiid is the MVP favorite. The, some ESPN put up a list and people are pissed off that John Morant wasn't on it. John Morant should be number two. But Embiid right now is a clear-cut number one on the list with the way he's dominating, the way he's been dominating since he can't, he really first got healthy from that injury. So when you have Embiid the way he's playing and now you have James Harden, the big question is what percentage of Harden are they getting? What body fat percentage Harden are they getting? <laughs> and, and you know, well, how, when how they, do he – When they list him in the starting lineups, you know, it has – Points average, rebounds average, assist average, BMI average. You can start tracking it, yeah. Uh, and also, and also, the, the my favorite, my favorite Harden stat on the side, which is, um, you know, which girl he sent to college uh, that Friday night. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a very noticeable personality trait of the player that we're talking about. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just not going to get involved. Fair point. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, you know, you mentioned John ja Morant, and uh, I got to see them play in person a bunch of times on TV, and I am, I am com a complete fanboy of that organization. Um, we've talked at length in the past about the St. Louis ties, and um, I, I am really, truly enamored with this group led by John ja Morant. And if they run into a stumbling block, his leadership, I think, will be key. That's something I'm looking for here because you can't – nobody's going to win every game. So if they run into a small a negative streak, how will they react? You know, you're, you're selling wolf tickets and everybody's uh, having fun and running around and, and popping off when they're winning and winning big. And, you, you know, they lost a game. And Morant, I mentioned this on the show, had talked about, hey, I had eight turnovers that game. Blame me, which I thought was great. Can that sort of leadership and that we're in this together attitude continue for the long haul? 
I think that's the chemistry to watch for with them. And, and with them, I think the big thing is getting a guy like Dylan Brooks, who I've talked about a lot, how he's yeah. been, been returning. You know, he, he's been out for a month with an ankle sprain. There was no reason. You know, they, they gave him a three- to five-week window. There was no reason to push him in that three- to four-week window. That, you know, yeah. they're, they're winning games. They're doing great. But let him go to five, get that ankle healthy. So I wonder if maybe getting one of their more veteran players, and Dylan Brooks only being a five- or six-year veteran just shows you how young this team is. But still, getting one of their more veteran players back in the lineup on a consistent basis, I wonder how much maybe that could be a steadying presence right when they need it for a young team like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so finally looking at the NBA, um, uh, to me, this is where you kind of put these teams in a Petri dish and say, okay, new new guys, new chemistry. Let's see how it works. Even more than wins and losses, although how something works, sort of the wins and losses sort of tell you sometimes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, by the way, tomorrow, uh, I guess I should say tonight, on Friday, um, the big one to watch after you get home from SLU St. Bonaventure, you're probably going to be able to catch the last quarter of the Timberwolves and the Bulls. And that's one team, two de- or two teams, I should say, didn't make any moves. I wasn't expecting anything from the Timberwolves, but the Bulls didn't make any moves. So we want to talk about a young team and how they're playing cohesively and how they're, you know, how they're taking on all that that stress of being a top team and being a young team, the Bulls are going to be a great team to watch to see how they handle that. And again, if you don't know yet, you're good. You're you're going to start kicking yourself for not watching Anthony Edwards. He's the guard wing forward for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And if you're not, if you don't want to watch the games, just watch his post game press conferences because he's absolutely hilarious. So I'll have to say this right now, just right off the bat tonight, Chicago and Minnesota, that's going to be one to watch if you want to start right out, right out of the gate here post-deadline, looking at two young teams who maybe didn't make moves but are kind of, you know, growing in their own kind of way. All right, Rock, that's going to wrap it up. we got a big weekend of basketball. The Billikens play Friday and Monday. Tons of NBA. We see how the dust settles on the deals, and we'll reconvene next week and figure out where everything stands. It's going to be fun. That's Matt Rocchio. I'm Bob Ramsey. Glad you joined us. It's the two-man game right here on Claves Online. We'll see you next time. St. Louis Acura was the number one Acura dealer in Missouri in 2021, and we were the 17th in the nation for Acura sales volume. We sell over 100 pre-owned vehicles monthly, and we service all of the makes and models that we sell. We are waiting for verification of our 30th Acura Precision Team Award, the only dealer in the nation with so many awards for customer satisfaction and dealership performance. We have 300 pre-owned vehicles in stock right now. St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you.